is up, guys, and welcome to another episode of Guadalupe Vision, the first ever podcast dedicated to Paraguayan football in English. As always, I'm Roberto Rojas, and joining me are my two great co-hosts, Federico Perez and Ralph Gana. And guys, here we are. We're at the mid of mid, uh, we're at the end of January already. We're seeing a lot of football happening all around the world, not just in Paraguay, but also in tournaments where we're seeing the national team play. We're going to see what's been going on with our players abroad because, of course, we're only a couple of weeks before the start of the. Uh, the international break, actually. We get our first international break. We see some games already being confirmed for some teams. Paraguay, we don't know who they'll be playing yet uh, in the uh, in the friendlies, but that doesn't mean we still can't keep an eye on some potential players. And one of them that obviously our eyes are going to be kept on is going to be Miguel Amiron. We're going to talk about what's been going on with him and how he's been in the news lately. And yeah, a bunch of stuff, Eddie. I'll go to you on this one first because it seems like, you know, you were talking about how you were kind of bored of like, you know, not much happening in Paraguay at the minute, but over the last week, I guess someone urged you said, all right, we'll show you. And it's been kind of busy uh, since then as well. Yeah. Hi, Roberto. Hi, Rob. Hi to everybody listening to What a New Vision. We, we had a great week with plenty of football games, especially to catch up and, and forget about the off season and how much we actually missed Paraguay and football itself. Three games in just one week. We got the weekend coming up with, with more ahead. Happy with the under-23 national team who has been really doing well, especially with the results. Got a tie, got a win. And Diego Gomez, our captain, is pretty much showing the way, also scoring three goals. We got to talk about them. Uh, they're actually surprising a lot of people here in Paraguay. They didn't, a, lot of, a lot of folks did not think they were going to do this well uh, at the start of the Preolimpico. As for the start of the Apertura, I'm liking what I'm seeing, guys. You know, very tight game. Uh, nobody's running away with it yet even though uh, I don't know about you guys but I'm having second thoughts about my picks you know I I, I went for Olympia and this hot start this uh, rápido y furioso fast and furious as they're calling it here the Cerro Porteño saga especially because after they they announced Iturbe right they did it with a video there with a video clip with fast and furious so everybody's going going with that theme after this really good start what was it seven goals in just two games Third on the three goals on the first game, four goals uh, on the second game. So really good start for Cerro Proteño, who has looked probably like the best team so far. Libertad has not looked like themselves lately. They really had a hard game against Esportivo Luqueño. I want to hear Ralph's take, especially on that one, because uh, there was a lot going on in that match, especially in the first half. And and yeah, obviously we got plenty to talk about. My other uh, pick was Dos de Mayo, who actually got their first win uh, last night as we're recording, especially at home. I, this is what I'm waiting from Dos de Mayo to get wins at home because they had a really good campaign back in Intermedia. So it's really good for them to start off this way. We actually had football in the countryside, not only in Pedro Juan Caballero, the city that's on the borderline with Brazil, but also in Encarnacion, which is a city right close to Argentina, a summer city here in Paraguay. Uh, Olimpia went over there to play against Taquari. Taquari actually took Olimpia there. Olimpia was able to get their first win, but Olimpia is not looking 100% yet. Roberto, it is my pick for this opportunity, so I'm really looking uh, into them. We got to talk about the new players because they are starting to play, but Chiqui Arce is, has to get his way around the team. We're talking about the three big teams. We're talking about everything that happens here in the what in the, in the Paraguay in football, we got everything here in what an vision. Yeah, it's it's certainly early days to really, you know, crown a champion or crown a season to be over. But what isn't early, Ralph, are these games. I mean, yes, uh, it is with the time difference good for us because it's not that late. It's right in prime time. But in Paraguay and looking at this weekend, and this is something that's actually made 
some uh, ruffles over there in, in Paraguay within the media, within fans. You got kickoffs at nearly 9 p.m., which, you know, doesn't really happen in, in Paraguay football, to say the least. Like, I, I can't recall a time of games being that late, but it's uh, it's interesting to say that this Apertura season has been kind of full of drama as expected, and we're only two games in. Yeah, that's right. Hi, guys. Hi, everybody listening. And yeah, it's, it's been a, a fast and furious start, like like Fede says, not just by Cerro, but, but the whole league itself with everything coming alive. Lots of games, I think, where both teams are scoring goals, so we haven't had too many kind of boring matches to to follow. And the way it was structured this week, we had two games on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So there was matches pretty much all week and people have been following the games and getting very excited. The The late kickoffs are surprised because traditionally the police don't really recommend it. Um, you don't want people coming to the stadium in the dark and you don't want them leaving We're in the dark when there's no buses because the, the public transport system usually stops by then. So it's very hard for people to to get home. So these these kind of late kickoffs are, are kind of a surprise, but then it's also merited by the weather, right? Because it's so hot, you try and push the games later into the evening when it's not quite as hot. So it's, it's, a, it's always a hard balance, especially this time of year. I think Fede mentioned it last week that the traditionally the league doesn't start this early. I mean, we, we're not even at the end of uh, January and we'll have played three games. I mean, that's, that's quite rare. And so it's, of course, Southern Hemisphere is very hot down there at the moment. But yeah, um, going with onto, onto Pre-Olimpico as well, I mean, that, that's been a really exciting kind of start by Paraguay as well. I think two, two very dramatic games, I think we can say, and probably the best game of the tournament, I think, the, the one against Uruguay. So it's, it's been really, really fun to watch that kind of in between the, the games, the league games we're having. And I think watching that is nice to see some of the players in the in the under 23s and thinking, wow, I want to see them in the apertura and how do they fit in? Because they're playing well at this level, but how are they going to do it when they get back to Paraguay? So, so there's a lot to kind of look forward to. And then we'll go into that firstly, guys, because obviously the Prolimpico is the one that a lot of people are really paying their attention on. And, you know, as we had mentioned, it was going to be a difficult group for Paraguay to go into as we spoke in, in the preview a couple of weeks ago. But as we speak right now, Paraguay are currently in a position to qualify to the final stage of the tournament, where obviously they will meet the other two from the other group. Uh, and eventually, obviously, from those final four, they'll be playing each other. And then the winners of the top two of that group will qualify for the Olympics in Paris. But at the moment, Paraguay are in a position where they have been doing well. They were very close in their first game against Argentina, an Argentina side that had a lot of critics because of the fact that this is a team that is very good when you look at it on paper. But has had some doubts in the in the media about Javier Mascherano and his capability of being able to uh, manage the side. But Paraguay did well. You know, they, they were able to score first from Diego Gomez, a penalty. And rightly before the, the end of the match, he actually came off injured. And eventually, I think that was the, the decider because there, Argentina can see, uh, scored in the last minute to get a, a draw. Very close to a, a really historic win for Paraguay. But... The one game that we'll definitely talk about is the one against Uruguay. You know, a, a huge comeback, a huge game against Marcelo Bielsa's uh, Uruguay, the reigning U20 champion on my side, because you have a lot of these players, uh, including the one that scored a hat-trick in that day, Luciano Rodriguez. Uh, he put the game up at 3-1 at one point, guys. But then Paraguay came back in, in the most dramatic fashion. Diego Gomez again scoring twice. 
Uh, he scored the winner in the 72nd minute and then won a, a really nice goal, a back heel goal from Marcelo Fernandez, you know, someone that has also been kind of flourishing in this kind of in this squad. But yeah, it's a huge win. And I think that was one of the things, uh, and I'll go to Ralph on this one first, that we wanted to expect from this Paraguay side is to be able to get results from those uh, the big favorites, you would say, which would be Argentina and Uruguay. They got that. They were able to get four points from those two games, very close to two wins. But, you know, you would think now in the position that they're in, and of course, it is early days. We're not here to say, yeah, they're in the Olympics or whatnot, because they still have to play two more games, which in a way kind of favors them because they, like I said, they already played the, the strongest teams already. They're going to play a Peru side that, you know, beat Chile, uh, lost to Argentina. They get them, they get another rest period, and then they finish off the final day against Chile, a side that also haven't won a single game as of yet. So in a way, if Paraguay do not mess this up, they're in really good position to qualify to the final round. Yeah, that's right, Roberto. I think picking up firstly is that they played their two hardest games for sure. And I think we talked about it. We said that game against Uruguay is going to be the key one because probably they end up fighting for Uruguay for that second spot. Actually, the way it's working out, it might be Argentina that, that they're going to knock out because Argentina have not been very impressive. Even they only just got past uh, Peru as well, right? And and we saw their struggles against against us. So um, I think they've got through the yeah, the two kind of rivals and they've come away with four points. So they, they are, like you say, in a very good position. But there's a lot to play for and, and there's a lot of football in terms of minutes to be played. And what we've seen traditionally with Paraguay is they do struggle a bit in the physical sense of things. It's really interesting how Carlos Jara Saguier has not used Enzo Gonzalez, right? He's, Enzo Gonzalez has been on the bench for both games and is almost been as a replacement in some ways for Diego Gomez. I mean, he didn't replace him in the first game, but, but he did in the second and I think what he's just trying to do there is manage minutes because you know that Enzo Gonzalez is one of your best players on that team. But he's looking ahead to these two games, but then the final stage and trying not to burn people out. And the person I'm worried about burnout is, of course, Diego Gomez, who's had this like all action. It's like from, a, from an English perspective, it's like watching St Steven Gerrard when he used to do everything for England and for Liverpool. He'd, he'd track back to win the ball. He'd score free kicks. He'd set up goals. And Diego Gomez has done all of that. I mean, he's really leading this team from the front. And I think we've seen also two very physical games, right? The game against Argentina, Paraguay, if we're honest, they got back into a very traditional Paraguayan side and they just began kicking Argentina when, when the more talented players, especially Barco, wanted to try and run past them. It got to a point where we're just going to chop him down. We, we don't have any kind of other resource here, so let's just stop them playing, which is... Maybe a bit cynical, and you don't see it as much maybe in the in the modern game. But remember, Harasagi is the guy that qualified Paraguay 20 years ago. So he's using, I think, some of that DNA, that that classic uh, Gara Guarani to kind of bring back into the, the team, which is something we haven't seen in the in the national team. And then just quickly on the on the Uruguay game, um, I think what we saw there as well was a bit of the mental strength, right? Going down 2-0 after just 10 minutes and really being well, you're never outplayed against Bielsa, but but what because he can let you have the ball. He let Paraguay have the ball for quite a long time. But what they did was they were killing them in the transitions, right? They, it was two very quick moves, two goals, and suddenly Paraguay thought, all this good work we've been doing for 10 minutes with the ball has just disappeared. But they didn't give up. 
especially through Diego Gomez, as I mentioned, they kept playing, they kept going forward. They looked for set pieces where they've been really impressive. And and they pulled themselves back into a position by halftime where you thought, oh, they, you know, we might be able to do something here. And then the second half, Enzo Gonzalez comes on. The game, they they kind of begin to dominate again physically. I, I really want to press on that point because that's something that I don't think Paraguay has been doing at senior level. And here they've looked very good. And you, and you look at it and think of players like Diego Gomez, obviously, who's playing at a very top level. But then you look at someone like Fernando Cardoso has been coming on as a sub. He's played well over 100 games at senior level already. And he's been to Europe and he's come back. And so these are players with a lot of experience when you're playing at, at a youth tournament because it's still an under-23s tournament. So I think at the moment it's been really impressive. And it, it's just been good to see a Paraguay team that looks a bit more like a traditional Paraguay team with the set pieces, the aggressiveness, and of course the the kind of mental strength. I'm loving it, guys. I'm having such a fun time watching this team, even though with the ups and downs, right? We started really bad against uh, Uruguay. They scored three goals in less than 35 minutes. We were able to get back in the game. As you saw that start, especially that that star play that Uruguay has in the attack, Luciano Rodriguez, he was unstoppable those first minutes, especially for our defense. Gilberto Flores, Ronaldo de Jesus really had problems with him. And they were getting those clear looks. Thankfully, we were able to stable ourselves, not only in defense, but I think we, we got a couple of important saves from Ankel Gonzalez, our goalkeeper, that, you know, he stopped a couple of important uh, plays that Uruguay had to stretch their, their lead even more in the game. That was important to, to kind of get that reaction from the rest of the team. They were aggressive pretty much all during the whole game. That leads to a team that gets kind of tired really quick. But, hey, this team was able to manage it. And Uruguay did not keep up with us. And that was Uruguay's first first game. And we were coming back uh, after running a lot from, uh, playing against Argentina also. So I'm liking what I'm seeing from the physical point of view, like Raph was saying, uh, you know, the will from the players, that they're really trying to do something for our, for our country. And you can see that the coach is getting to them. You know, you can see that Carlos Jarasaguer is getting to the players. And that was something that uh, before the tournament, I was I I wanted to see I wanted to see if an experienced coach could get through to the young players again. Uh, a lot of people were saying no. Carlos Harasaguer is over as a coach. He doesn't he's not he doesn't know what he's gonna do in the Preolimpico. He's not up to it. He he's not a modern coach. But hey, he went up against Marcelo Bielsa, a coach that was not long ago in the Premier League, and he was able to beat his team. And, and, and with a huge comeback, obviously, Diego Gomez had a lot to do with it. The rest of the team, I'm loving that midfield. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of players that are just evolving and growing, like Wilder Vieira. You're seeing Fabricio Peralta, that center midfielder. He's looking really good. Ever since he started playing in Cerro Porteño, you're just seeing a player that's just playing even better as the games go by. He's growing and growing. And in the attack, yeah, we played differently. Against Argentina, I think we only played with one forward. Against Uruguay, we went, we went with Marcelo Perez and Kevin Parzajuk. They got the chance to play together, but it was Marcelo Fernandez coming in the second half who made the difference and scored a beautiful goal. 
Uh, also, he, he, he had his contribution uh, along with Enzo Gonzalez, who, who we saw a couple of minutes in the second half, and he was able to take players away from him, doing his things also. You can see that he's growing as a player also after his time in Wolves. Uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing more of him in the next round of the games. We... We beat Uruguay. We got a good result against Argentina. I get the way you feel, Roberto. You have to win against Peru. You have to beat Chile now because those are the teams that you are supposed to beat also in this group and try to get that first spot. But, hey, I think these two tests were enough to show us, the public, everybody that's following this tournament, and even the players in the locker room that they're able to compete in this stage. And, hey, why not? get uh, one of those two tickets for Paris. I mean, Paraguay has looked really well so far, so I'm really liking what I'm seeing from the team. I'm yeah. not getting on the clouds yet, but um, we got a chance. Baby steps, baby steps. We, we've been, we've always had our, in the traditional Paraguayan way, always getting our hopes up only to then be disappointed at the end. That's happened so many times uh, in various things, not just in football. Uh, so I think the one thing that we do have to realize is that, you know, this is a team that is doing well, and rightly so. They should be merited on their own front beating both, sorry, beating Uruguay and getting a result against Argentina. But, of course, they still need to improve on various levels, you know, defending defensively and, and whatnot. So I think, Ralph, this is a situation where we really need to look at it and, and you know, say it bluntly, Paraguay are under the obligation to beat Peru and Chile. And, and rightly so, I think they're better because if they're able to get the result against Uruguay and Argentina, who are the favorites, you would say, to get out of this group, then you would think that they would have enough to do it against Peru and Chile. My fear is, and of course you mentioned as well, how much gas will they have in the tank? Not only if they do qualify, but also for the final stage because, you know, Brazil look hot. Ecuador look great, you know, and we'll see who it comes from. If it's not those two, it could be any of the other three teams that could make it as well. Will they have enough energy in their tank to really finish off those final three games? Uh, essentially like that, you know, you got five games left and um, if they do make it all the way to the final stage and we need to see if that team, especially what Carlos Cardas can do is able to motivate them, you know, physically and mentally uh, for that final stage if they do make it. Yeah, I think, well, taking your first parts of the question right about Peru and Chile, yeah, they have, they're, they're in a position that they should be able to beat them, but they have to beat them because you can't expect to then go to Paris if you're not able to beat Peru and Chile, right? Because next up is coming, like you said, Brazil, Ecuador, maybe a rematch with, with Uruguay. We'll see what how that how that all works out. So, so, yeah, it's, it's these kind of games. They put themselves in a position now where they're more of a favorite than they were going into the tournament, but they have to now deliver on that. And I think, yeah, it's it's like we said, it's been very physical. It's, it's been an aggressive kind of two games. And so how do they maintain that intensity without burning out? That's something for the the coaches to work on. And just before I pass to Fede, I wanted to, to go in a bit more depth on Fabrizio Peralta because I've been really impressed with him as well. And he's a player that I felt was a bit almost overshadowed at Cerro last season because Bobadilla was playing so well in that midfield. So you kind of, Peralta was there, but he didn't shine as much because Bobadilla was playing so well. Uh, Damian Bobadilla has been transferred to, to Brazil now, so for I think about $5 million. So suddenly now there's a great chance for Peralta to become an important part 
of that midfield because as we'll maybe talk about when we talk about Cerro, they don't have many defensive players at the moment. It's, it's a very attacking lineup. And Peralta, he, he brings in a bit more of that control. He was very impressive in the under-17s World Cup. So this is not a player, I think, that's new to, to the many international scouts that are there in, in Venezuela. But also he spent a season alone with Flamengo. So that's really that's really interesting because being in Flamengo for a year and he won the, the Tasa Guanabara, He's he's had some of that experience abroad, which he's then been able to take back to Paraguay. So he's definitely a player that that has impressed me so far. Yeah, there are there are a bunch of players that are actually I think uh, on this team that that you don't know how far they're going to get in their careers. I'm really liking what I'm seeing also from Ronaldo de Jesus, the center back. But when he's attacking, when he has when he gets the chances up there uh, on. On the box of the other team because he's scoring all the time. He did it with Cerro Porteño on his first games on the first division, and now he's doing it with the national team. Also, he was one of the guys that scored against Uruguay, and I'm liking what I'm seeing from him. He's that typical Paraguayan center back, huge, very hard to get through, very physical. Uh, I, this is a player that I also like, and give it to Cerro Porteño, guys. I mean, five starting players on the Paraguayan national team right now are from Cerro Porteño's uh, youth youth team. So Cerro has a lot of players that they can sell eventually, especially if they have a good Preolimpico like they've done so far. Uh, my, my expectations are really high right now with the team. The thing is, can we fix the defense? Can we... Can we, can we not suffer as much as we did against Uruguay? Can we fix that situation and and keep it up uh, with the goal, especially the Diego Gomez, he can keep, keep up the level? And how important has it been, right, for 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 the FA to get that permission from Miami uh, for Diego Gomez to come and play for us? I mean, we're not just talking about one of the best players. We're talking about the captain. He's the leader. Everybody's looking up to him, and he's – living up to the expectations. Miami wanted for him to come, but they wanted him to do a preseason. And he was able to work on it, on his stuff for just a week. And then he got ready for the Pre-Olimpico. So this this speaks really well of a very humble player. We, we're, we haven't seen the best from him yet in Miami, but we are seeing one of his best versions in the national team. So I'm really happy for Diego. This is just something that's going to uh, allow him to go back to Miami and... And I think he's gonna get that that hug from Messi if he gets that ticket to to Paris. Also, he's gonna get he's gonna get his uh, he's gonna get his props because he's really doing well. And Marcelo Fernandez might get a starting role eventually. From what I've seen from Marcelo Perez and Kevin Parasakuk, I think Marcelo Fernandez looks like the one that's ready. He's played a lot also last season in Libertad. So there are a couple of things you still got to get together in the team, in the starting 11, pick the right one because you, you always come with a team ready for the for the tournament. But as the tournament starts and as the games go by, you, you start to see that certain players are, are, are evolving, are playing better, and they... They kind of earned their chances also on the starting 11. So we'll see how Carlos Harasaguer manages that situation. But I'm liking it because he's taking the players at the right, out of the game at the right time. Diego Gomez looked really tired against Uruguay, and he took him out before he, he could get injured. So he looks like that experienced coach that looks like he knows what he's doing. Even when we were two goals down against Uruguay, he looked really calm and, and, and thought that, that a reaction was coming and we got that reaction right away. So so I think it's, it's a locker room that's just uh, growing and and they got so much look to look forward to, Roberto. These are tests that we were able to pass 
And this 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 is a good stage right now for the Paraguayan team. It is, and now all is up to them to be able to pass the test that they have to pass in a way, and and go from there. And and I think hopefully by the time we speak next week, because by the time we do have our our next episode, we will figure out if Paraguay do make the uh, not the trip to Paris, but they'll be in the final stages for the competition. So we'll have to wait and see if that is the case for them. As we switch gears to what's been going on in the Apertura, like Ralph had mentioned, it's and Fed as well. It has been a fast and furious start for Cerro Porteño. Like you said, the only team to have gotten a perfect record so far after two games, two games with two wins, seven goals uh, scored, two conceded. And really uh, a, a thing that I have to mention, and maybe one of you guys had said it, and I felt that I'm ready to eat my words about it, is Juan Iturbe's really great start. He scored in both the games so far. Cecilio Dominguez has also been very important as well. And yeah, it's been a it's been a good start, Fede, for uh, Victor Vernay's uh, team at the minute because I think obviously the way that they've been playing has been great. Of course, they are in a position where they need to beat the opponents of, of a Trinidense who look poor right now. And of course... Uh, like they did against Almiliano. Those are results that they have to win. So it's not the case of saying, okay, yeah, we're good so far. But I think ultimately having a good start is a good start. Um, but it's now the the bigger obligation and the expectations just rise up. But the way that they've been playing has been good so far, at least from, from my perspective of seeing them. Yeah, so far everything looks good, Roberto. You know, the defense, John doing his thing. In the goalkeeping position, always stopping important balls from the other teams and from midfielder, from midfield on forward. I mean, you're, you're getting the best out of almost every player, especially in that midfield. I mean, Robert Pires Damota, Rafael Carrascal, they actually contributed with goals in this second match. So you got to give it to them. And you're seeing the best Cecilio Dominguez, the one that can uh, play all 90 minutes and still make a difference even late in the game. Juan Manuel Iturri uh, had a very good first game. He wasn't available for the second game for 90 minutes. He, the second half, uh, you can see that he was kind of tired. He hasn't played uh, much. He didn't play much last season. He even talked about that, that he hadn't played uh, an official match for about three or four months before the, the opportunity started. So I think it's very important for him to get back into that rhythm, into that shape of playing every three days, coming back to our hot temperature also. But Ituber is going to be an important player. He, he had the, the assist for Cecilio Dominguez. And there's a bond there, guys. When you're seeing Cecilio and Ituber hugging each other, going crazy for Cerro Porteño uh, after they score every single goal, you can see that something is building up in that locker room. You can see that something special is happening with Cerro Porteño. And you can see... Uh, this is something that caught my attention that they took the preseason real, uh, very seriously, guys. You can see that the players got ready for it uh, physically and, and mentally because you're seeing a very aggressive team. And then you got the coach making the right calls, putting the right players on the pitch and 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 having a very attacking team. I mean, uh, against Ameliano, they, they were winning, what was it, 3-1 already? The match was over because Ameliano wasn't doing anything. Pedro Sarabia, a very defensive coach, barely attacked Ameliano, I got to say. Uh, and and you saw Bernard taking out a couple of players, but not putting in more midfielders or, or putting more defenders. He put in two attackers. And Fernando Fernandez was able to come in the game and even score. And how long have we been seeing him? Uh, how, how long has it happened for him to score a goal with the Cerro Porteño jersey? So it was good for him to stay uh, on the team. Uh, I would 
I think the only thing that the fans are, are going after Cerro Porteño is Diego Churin, who hasn't been able to score. I think it's his last goal was back in October or November. So it's been a couple of months for the starting forward uh, that hasn't been able to score. He had very good opportunities against Ameliano, but Cristoforo, the Ameliano goalkeeper, stopped them. So hopefully he can get out of that bad streak. If not, Alfio Oviedo might, come, might start the games again, just like it happened last season, Churin lost that spot uh, eventually in the clausura, but Churin is one of the captains. He's very important in the locker room. So Bernay wants to keep uh, giving him uh, hope and, and wait for the goals to come by. But as long as you got Cecilio, uh, as long as you got Iturbe doing their thing, uh, they're not missing all those plays that we talked about that are in the Pre-Olimpico at all. Ralph, uh, I'm really happy with what I'm seeing from Cerro Porteño. Right now, they're number one favorites, but you got to wait maybe until the fifth and sixth game. In the fifth week, they're going to play Libertad. In the sixth week, they play uh, Olimpia, the Super Clásico. I think until then, I don't know if we're going to know if this Cerro Porteño is ready or not to be champion. Yeah, that's right, Fede. That was going to be my word of caution. I think we did talk about it. They have a fairly easy run these first few games. So it was vital they they take advantage. And, of course, they have started and they started really well. Um the couple of things I was looking at, yeah, Churin to a bit. Remember that Churin is the all-time top scorer in La Nueva Oya, the Cerro's home stadium, which they're not using at the moment because they're having to do some changes to the floodlights. So his kind of base where he can feel comfortable, where he knows he scores, he's not actually able to play in at the moment. So that could be a factor. But also I am, it, it's a very exciting and attacking team, but I wonder how, sustainable this is when you start playing some of the top teams when they play Libertad and Olympia let's see what he what kind of lineup he puts because you're talking about like in defense you have Enzo Jimenez as right back but he could be a midfielder you have Morel at center back which he does play but he started out as a defensive midfielder Asamendi is the left back but he's a very attacking left back more has been more a wing back so it's a, it's a really attacking team there's no real defensive midfielder at the moment I would say Pires Damota in theory, right? But he's not really defending that much, partly because the way the team's playing, he doesn't need to. But we'll have to see when they start getting tested, I think, a bit more at the back. But one thing I definitely don't think I appreciated and now I've noticed is how much Iturbe and Cecilio motivate each other. You said about that good bond. But I also think the way you look at it, they're like, hold on a minute. If if this guy's doing it, then I need to do it. And they're pushing each other and they're, they're bringing each other up, which I think is... Very good because sometimes you get these two very big characters and they can they can clash, right? But sometimes you get that partnership where it's like, no, we're going to motivate each other. And I think that's what started to happen. So that, for me, is the most exciting thing is watching how Iturbe and Cecilia work with each other to kind of keep themselves at the level that they're both capable of playing. So it's an exciting start, but let's wait until week five against Libertad. I think we, we do have to obviously not raise any hopes and no no it's easy to say that rather than it being done for a lot of fans but you know Fed is right you know you have to wait until the big games for them to really be consistent on that end and I think it's going to be important to see what they do we have to also see what other teams are going to be at because I don't I, I don't expect Olympia in this case Fed even though there had been some rumors about what's been going with Chiqui Arce and his future what kind of players he has I don't know if Olympia will have this poor star as of yet. Libertad as well. I don't expect them as well to to not be in the race for that too. And and other teams as well that you guys can mention. So 
even though Cedro is leading the way, they won't lead the way for for a long for that long. It's it's gonna come up to them. It's gonna catch up to them as soon as it's possible. And then, you know, then it creates a a big race for all the top teams. Yeah, but they're riding the wave really early and and doing it with their style and and scoring like the way they they scored. I mean, uh, if they keep it up, if they stay hot like just uh, as they started. Watch out for Cerro Porteño, especially with that fans, with, with their fans behind them. I mean, there, there was a lot of people in Defensores and Chaco for the first match because they wanted to see a tour, but they wanted to to see how how the Cerro Porteño got ready in the in the off season. But th there's a lot of confidence uh, from the fans, from what they're seeing from the coaching staff, and you know the, the how the players are playing. I mean, they're really on, on top shape right now, and. They look like they want the championship. They look like they're angry that they've been second place uh, these last couple of tournaments, and they look like hungry. They look hungry to me, and, and and that's what you want from a big team, right? And when you have the fans behind them, they went crazy in Villa Alicia, which is not a big stadium. The Santa America Stadium where Ameliano took them. Uh, it, a lot of people thought that Ameliano was going to play in the Fensores and Chaco, that they were going to play in a bigger stadium because uh, several Porteño fans, uh, they, they wanted those tickets. They, they wanted to see this team because it is a team that's putting up a show. When you got Cecilia doing his thing, when you got Ituber, that's enough just to buy the entrance. And when your team is winning, you know this is good for, for, for the Paraguayan League. Uh, we haven't had this with Olympia lately. We haven't had this with Cerro Porteño. So I think the signings are working. Everything is in pure harmony. The thing is, are you going to be able to stop Libertad? Are you going to be able to win the Super Classico? Those are the things that Cerro did not do last year, the big games. Those are the ones that they're going to have to win. Olympia, on the other side, they haven't looked like themselves lately. They are just starting out. There's a whole bunch of players that need to get in shape that, that got uh, uh, to the preseason very late. You, you saw Lucas Prato. I don't know if you guys saw him. He looks way out of, out of shape. And, you know, he's going to have to get into that rhythm, into that shape as the season goes by. And, and Olympia needs him because they don't have another center forward right now that's making a difference. Bruera is pretty much a third, fourth option maybe to Chiquiarse. He has, he has never been a starting uh, forward in this team. He tried out with Paiva in the first uh, game. That did not work out. Paiva did not score. And they need somebody alongside Delis Gonzalez, which is just the, their big star. And then you got players that are just starting to come in and they're showing their star. Uh, they're showing their stuff. I'm, I'm talking about Carlos Arrua, who was the spark probably in a very dark night for Olympia and Encarnacion. Taquari should have won that match, guys. I mean, that game was incredible. How many opportunities Taquari had, but Olympia was able to take it away with a very late goal from Carlos Arrua, who uh, got his first minutes and was able to score his first goal with the Olympia jersey. What a way to have your first game, right? Especially from somebody that's... that that fans have a lot of expectation uh, because he did a really good job with Nacional. And, and you know, you see new players that are coming into the team, but they're not feeling it yet with the rest of the teammates. So you need more practices. You need to work it out. Uh, uh, let's see if Olivia can do it. There was even talks that Chiqui Arce might quit or, or, or they might take him out of the job. There's somebody who's saying Palermo is going to take over in, in Olympia. They're going to take Chiqui Arce out. And that was also being said before this uh, Taquari match. And you could see that Chiqui Arce heard, heard all of it before the game because he was really angry in the press conference when he was asked about the situation. So uh, Olympia has that pressure, Roberto. They're going to have to uh, go through that this whole year because they had a really bad 2023.
Yeah, that's right. I mean, the the cheeky assay thing. I'll I'll tell you a quick anecdote because I've I've interviewed him a few times, like one on one, and I remember him telling me I read everything. He's he's on Twitter, right? He doesn't tweet much, but when he does, it's it's good. But he says he reads everything, so he's aware of everything. Maybe he's not always commenting, so he knew what people are talking about. If we just think about it realistically, I I can't see any. Coach or big name coach coming into Olympia before March because they have their presidential elections. So it'd be very strange to kind of throw in a big name just when Cardona, the the current president, is is going to step down because he's already said he will. So something could happen, but I don't think it would happen right now. And and yeah, with Olympia, was, that that Takwari game. I mean, yeah, Takwari should have won that match. They were all over them, and it reminded me again that Olympia do not travel well to Encarnacion. I don't know their record off the top of my head, but I know they've they've lost big games there. You know, Copa Paraguay, I think the Super Cup uh, when Emiliano beat them. So I don't I don't think they always travel great to Encarnacion. I remember losing. They lost to Trinidense down there last year, I think. So. That that was maybe playing on their mind as well. You have Richard Ortiz has come back and he's just really not looking in shape. Uh, Sal Salcedo he had a big miss of a ball that that almost cost them again. He's a player coming back from injury, so there's kind of a lot of things happening there for Olympia that that's not not quite clicking for them. But hey, they're they're on four points after two games, so they're definitely not out of the race if they can just kind of grind through which olympia is very good at doing if they grind through this kind of difficult patch and still have some points to show coming up into the classical then that could be a big game and, and everything momentum could could change 100 i think we're in for hopefully what will be a, a really interesting season over there in the apertura as we switch gears finally to our last segment of the day and one that i think has been kind of the talk of the town not just because of what's been going on uh, with the Paraguay national team and with Apertura. I think everyone's really looking at what's going on with Miguel Miron because there had been some news and it, this was initially reported from Ben Jacobs initially, uh, I think it was back on Monday, that Al-Sharab had been negotiating a deal with Newcastle United to let Migi go to Saudi Arabia. And of course, we are speaking right now on the 26th, so we still have a couple of days left until the end of the transfer window in England. But this is a, a situation where and Ralph, I'll go to you on this one first, because I think this is certainly a situation for, for Newcastle where they have been kind of in the in the red, you would say, where they have been spending more and their return hasn't been as much. So in order to get financial fair play and their kind of rules, they need to sell. And there had been some rumors of him, Karen Trippier, Callum Wilson, many other players. But Miguel has been one of the names that I guess has been flourishing in the sense that they can kind of sell him now for a really good profit. I've been hearing numbers of 20 million, 25 million um, from what I know. And, you know, speaking to those close to Admiron's entourage, they're saying that they're not convinced of it, that they don't want to leave. But of course, things can change, as we know, in this kind of crazy transfer window. But yeah, I mean, Miguel Miron to Saudi Arabia, I guess no one really expected this to happen right now as he turns what I think he turns 30 in a couple of weeks as well. So for him to go into that is kind of a, a weird situation to be in, especially right before the uh, the Copa America begins. And of course, the qualifiers go to to really go from that, you would say, downgrade in a way from being a top player, starting player at a, at a good Premier League site like that is the Newcastle to going to Saudi Arabia. If it is Al-Sharab, a side that I think is right below the, the mid-tier of the Saudi Pro League. 
Yeah, yeah. It's a, it, it was kind of a surprise when it when it came up, but then when you analyze it, it's it's not crazy. Um, it, all the Premier League clubs are concerned after Everton lost ten points that this time they're serious about financial fair play regulations. So a lot of teams need to get their their kind of books in order. Not necessarily now, but by the end of the season. Um, but the thing is, now might be the time that you can you can try and make some of these deals. And get and get the big money. The the January transfer window is a bit like that, right? Is is when you sometimes have those crazy deals you weren't expecting because everybody's working under under pressure. And what it sounds like from from what we've we understand is there's not much interest from Miguel Almiron to go to Saudi. And just like you said, Roberto, that it would be a step down football wise. I don't think his wife would be too happy about it if we're honest i think she's got quite settled it makes them even further away from paraguay so it's not even that easy to to travel back you know they got a young kid um does does she want to really live in saudi or will she end up living in bahrain like i think a lot of the the wives of the the star players that have gone are living they're not actually living in saudi arabia because it's, it's a bit more restricted um so there's a lot of things that i don't think the player wants to go the club is a totally different situation because the club has different plans. They have different ideas. They're obviously are owned by the Saudis. So they have a great relationship with all the clubs there who at the moment have all the money. So there from, from club to club, it makes a lot of sense. So I think what we will probably see is the club accepting an offer. The, the thing is, will they be able to agree personal terms in time? And, and that's where maybe they might want to store things and, and, it might not happen in, in January, but it kind of signals um, probably the end of, of Miguel Almiron's time in Newcastle, right? If it's not now, he's he's going to be one that they want to, to move in the summer. So I'm sure if he doesn't go now, they'll be making plans. And hopefully that plan is somewhere else. If we're honest, he can stay in Europe because, like you say, Copa America is coming up and we got the, the, the World Cup qualifiers. And so we want him to be at the top level, I think. Yeah, we talked about this so many times, right? Between uh, while he's been there in Newcastle, what's the next step for Miguel Almiron after reaching the Premier League, after scoring important goals, uh, becoming one of the leaders also of the team? I would even say, and uh, one of the favorites from the fans also. I mean, he's gotten a lot of love from the from the Newcastle fans in certain points and in certain moments of of his time in, in Newcastle. I was just reading he's close to to reaching 200 games. So there's been it's been a while for him there. I, I would like for him to take a new step, but I did not think this was going to happen, guys. I mean, to be honest, I'm quite shocked that Newcastle is even thinking of moving him because he's not that old yet. He can still he can still perform. He still has a lot of uh, uh, he still has a lot of things that he can uh, do with Newcastle. They just played their first Champions League. They, he was, it was his first experience in a Champions League. So why not let the player evolve? Why not let the player uh, keep that that place that he's earned in Newcastle? That's kind of weird for me, but that's the way some Premier League uh, teams are managed right now. I mean, the coach doesn't want him to go. He doesn't want to go, but there's an owner and they have other clubs and they can move the chips. They can move the players like they want and then They've done it. We've seen it with so many stars, with so many players before. And the money is just uh, pretty much taking all the players to over there. I mean, we've seen it ever since Cristiano Ronaldo left from Spain to go to, to that part of the world. And ever since then, just more and more players are going. Some 
we're seeing that uh, are having their regrets. They're, they want to come back to Europe. We're seeing a lot of that now. And, and I don't think South American players feel comfortable over there. Yeah, we've had other Paraguayans doing really well. Kaku Romero is one of them. But I don't think it's the spot for Miguel Almiron. And I don't want uh, this story to end that way. I, I want another team to come in the, the negotiations and ask for Miguel Almiron. Maybe it's a time for fans to show that love. He got the love from from his coach, who even looked kind of desperate for for Miguel Almiron to to not lead the team. So so I, I think there's going to be a, a good ending to this story. I, I don't think they're going to go against his will. Yeah, and, and just wanted to go on that, uh, Ralph, to, to close it out. Yeah, Eddie Howe did say that he is desperate to keep him and that there have been some noise, but hopefully we can keep Miguel. His contribution has been immense. And that shows kind of the respect. And, you know, if this is, of course, the end of, of him at Newcastle, I think we can say that, yes, while his time has been frustrating and we've kind of said it multiple times, even when he was on his good form, that we didn't see the best player. And that could be down to the way that he plays, perhaps – his uh, his finishing, his lack of finishing, his maybe over-reliance on his left foot. There had been some that had said a lot of things about him and kind of divided opinion. But what cannot be uh, really disputed is his work effort. And I think a lot of people, especially Eddie Howe, even going back to Rafael Benitez and even Steve Bruce, they have always praised him for his work ethic. So I think irregardless of whatever move he goes, if he stays at Newcastle, if he goes somewhere in Europe, or even if he goes to Saudi... I think we'll still see that player that will still give his all, kind of what we've always seen over the course of his career. And hopefully this is a case where, you know, he's not in a situation where he doesn't go on that bad form because I think he's still an important, and I think Feather can say that, I think he still is vital for the national team and how they play. Um, whether or not he could be impactful in that sense of, you know, game time situations is another thing, but the way that he's being perceived and his effort, I think, cannot be disputed. Yeah, yeah, I'll I'll go on that. I mean, he's it, it, he reminds me a bit of Nelson Aido, who he probably looked up to because he was at Cerro, um, of that kind of work ethic. Even when things might not be going well, you could never fold the players. Kind of, um, what what's the word like? Just just their motivation to to be doing the best job they can do while they're at that that team. So I think, I think from that side, yeah, I mean, there, there's never been any questions. And I also think, I mean, he's obviously, he's, he's playing and performing in the Premier League. He's still at a high level. Maybe, maybe he doesn't stay in the Premier League, but you would hope to see him in La Liga, Serie A, Bundesliga, you know, one of those top leagues. So it, it, I feel very much that this is being forced from, from the club's kind of necessity that they have, that they have to do this financial regulation. So, the hope is really that that we can see Almiron gets to decide a bit more in his future. But the reality of football is not like that, guys. Remember that it's a small window that you have in your life to make lots of money, have a great time. But then, you know, while the rest of us work until we're about 60, 70, these guys by 35, most of their earning power is over. So, yeah, unless you're Taquara. But that's another story. Um, so, I mean... At some point, the, the money always talks at, at this level as well. So I hope he gets more of a say in his future and he doesn't end up in Saudi Arabia because, like I said, I don't think it's – it's just footbally is, is not there yet, right? For as many stars that are going, you can see they're talking about the facilities and what they expected. Some of the the kind of – you know, the, the attendances in the stadiums is definitely not what they expected. So 
there, there's there's somewhere else I think that he could go. But I do feel like this is this is over with Newcastle, if not now and in, in the summer, just because you can see the the kind of messages coming out from the ownership. Yeah, you can see that he's thinking about his future already, guys. I don't know if you saw that he came by the country, invested some money, even built a uh, a huge building really close by uh, Defensores del Chaco. Uh, I think if you're on the rooftop, you can see pretty much a game in Defensores del Chaco. So he's investing his money, what he's making. Uh, and, and it's good to see him bring his money back to the country, do something for Paraguay. Yeah, I think that's beautiful uh, because he, he could invest his money anywhere in the world. And he chose to do it here. Uh, but that's just a small detail in, in his career. Career, and I think he's still got good years ahead of him. Uh, obviously, the the national team is something that I, I think is still on his head. I think he he can do a lot more. Hopefully, he has a good Copa America this year. But uh, just like I said before, I hope there's a another team that comes into the solution. Uh, uh, that that's why these guys have good uh, FIFA agents. I mean, this is a time where your agent has to move and offer him. I mean, put him on a, uh, put him on a, on a, on a plate and start offering him because if Newcastle doesn't want him anymore and if they want to take him somewhere that he doesn't want to play where he's not going to be that competitive, find him a good team because he can still do it. He's shown it these last couple of seasons. He's showing it on the national team. He's always keeping his level. He's barely been injured uh, since he's been a Newcastle player. So I think he's still up for it. I'm really looking forward to it. I don't want him to leave the Premier League. I'm looking forward to Julio and Cesar coming back in Brighton real soon. Soon. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward for Enzo Gonzalez to get his debut with Wolves this season. Eventually, hopefully, he gets that opportunity in Premier League. And we got more players coming about in Europe. I was hearing about Hugo Cuenca also getting his opportunity to practice with the first team in, in AC Milan. Uh, so hopefully we got a, a, a player there that's uh, about to debut in Serie A in the Italian league. Uh, that's what gets, that's what motivates us here in Paraguay that we have players playing in Europe and they can bring back their good stuff to the national team. And you wouldn't see him go up against the best players still, Roberto. I want to see Miguel Almiron. I want to see more of Almiron in the Premier. Absolutely. And hopefully other players that have kind of seen as a model can all, as a role model can also, uh, be able to show their kind of impact as well. It's not Miguel because, of course, his time will eventually end at one point, but you still got the other ones coming in, kind of going full circle to what we spoke about at the Preolimpico to now kind of players going into their prime. So, yeah, a lot to really speak about heading into next week, guys. I'm really excited. There's going to be a lot that's going to be decided and to be talked about uh, by this time next week, but you will have to wait until then as we close out another great episode. What a new vision for myself, Roberto Rojas, Pere Perez. And Ralph Hannon, thank you so much for listening in. See you soon.